Oh, thank you, Greg. So thankful for our kid zone and nursery workers and teachers, volunteers that so faithfully and systematically teach the Bible to our kids week in and week out. Also thankful for the chair setup crew. You know, the chair that you are sitting on was set up by a volunteer yesterday morning. Imagine 8 a.m. Saturday morning. What do you want to do? Well, you know, do you want to sit around and kind of watch cartoons and drink coffee? No, dude. I want to go set up chairs. <laughs> so thankful for our chair setup crew. They love you and they love the Lord, and we're thankful for the way they serve. Yeah. Amen. So, uh, an announcement, uh, church family announcement. A lot of you probably got the email. If not, you can get on the church's um, email list. But um, our sister, uh, Lorraine, did pass away uh, this week, and so there is her um, service announcement. Um, man, great is her reward. Uh, waiting for her. Uh, When I first came here uh, a long time ago, well, eight and a half years ago, she was in her 80s then, and she would go and pick up these, I think I can say this from up here, just don't tell anyone, these rowdy kids. Is that okay? Rowdy. And she'd tell them, only four of you can come to church. Because I only have four seatbelts, and we got to have you all buckled in, so only four of you can come to church. So she'd go, she'd pull in, she'd get them, and, you know, they'd pile in the car, and she'd get to church, and six kids would get out of the car. <laughs> and she'd do her best to ride herd at church, and then she'd bring them, she'd take them to McDonald's or take them out to eat, and then she'd take them home. And, man, she loved those kids. In her 80s, loved those kids. They loved her. Man. That's Jesus. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Let's pray before we jump in. Lord, I want to thank you for Lorraine and her example and her life. And Lord, I pray that we would learn from that. Lord, I pray too that as we look into your word, that you would remind us again of your goodness, of your grace, that you would anchor our souls to this truth. Lord, stand in front of me while I'm in front of them. Talk over me while I talk to them. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Old preacher is called to a new church, and this old preacher gets ready to preach his first sermon, and they call him up there, time to preach, and he preaches And people are like, wow, that was a sermon. Wow, that was was fantastic. Great start, great start for this old preacher at a new church. Second Sunday rolls around, everybody has kind of high expectations, and he preaches the same sermon he did the first week. And they're kind of looking like, I mean, he is old. Uh, You know, I think he knows. Like, maybe it'll be better next week. So, third week rolls around, and everybody's got their pencils ready, and he starts right in. Same sermon he preached the first week and the second week. 
And they're like, we got to talk to them. Right? I mean, we have to. Like, we, we can't keep doing this. We've got to talk to them. So they all go to Kent Wallace, <laughs> who's the head deacon, and they say to Kent Wallace, like, you got to talk to him, Kent. I mean, you're the consultant. you got to go do this. Have the hard conversation if he does this the fourth week. And so the fourth week rolls around, and the old preacher gets up, and he starts with the same illustration and goes through the same sermon. And at the, after the service, somebody like Kent Wallace has to go to him and say, uh, Seems like you preached the same sermon four weeks in a row. I mean, I don't know how else to say this. And, and the old pastor's like, yep. When you get this one, I'll move to the next one. <laughs> That's kind of how I feel about Ecclesiastes. Um, the, the, we're going to see some of the same themes that we've seen before. And I'm not re-preaching the same material every week. This is, this is the author of the Ecclesiastes in partnership with the Holy Spirit bringing back some of these same themes again and again. And I think that's because it is so hard for us to get our hearts around this stuff. It is so countercultural, and it is so not what we want to believe or not what is pleasurable to us. It is so hard for us to hear and so hard for us to own, own as people. And so we're going to come back and we're going to go through it again. But I just want you to remind, I want to remind you, like as much as I can, this is for your benefit. <laughs> this is for your good. You'll end up more joyful on the other side of this if you own it. We'll see, we'll see in verse 15. He really is for our joy. It's hard stuff, but he's for our joy. So we're going to talk about what is frustrating in life that would keep us from joy, and then we'll talk about, then we'll talk about enjoying God's gifts this morning. That's the plan. Um, I already prayed, so we can jump in. So here we are in chapter 8, and I'm going to start in verse 10. Um, then I saw the wicked buried... And they used to go in and out from the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This is also vanity. See, what's going on is the author is frustrated with God. He is frustrated with God because he believes God created everything with a moral order. And he's saying, I believe that there is a moral order to the universe and I feel like it's not happening. When I look at creation and when I look at the world, when I look at my life and your life, I don't see the moral order showing up. So for example, all the way back in Genesis chapter 2, God said, don't eat of the tree for in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Do you see moral order there? If you disobey, bad things will happen. The day you eat of it, you will surely die. But if you obey, and if you don't eat the, of the tree, then you get to stay in the garden. You see that? Same thing in Deuteronomy chapter 30, where Moses is setting life and death before the people. He says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. So if you obey, it is life, it is blessing, it is flourishing. If you disobey, it is cursing and death 
and punishment. He's like, there's moral order to the world. I think you, you already know this and agree with this. Like, this is I think this is how you want your house to run, especially when you have small kids. Like, if you obey, everything's going to go well for you. It's going to be happy. If you disobey, there are going to be hard consequences for you. We used to have one of our kids. Oh, we still have him, but he's, <laughs> he's grown out of it. So one of our kids used to think the greatest thing in the world was, he's like four, you know, could barely talk, talked with a, yeah, you know, he's, he's little. I don't remember exactly how old he was, but he's little. And he'd sneak up on the dog. So we have a 12-pound dog. Dog would be sleeping on the arm of the chair. And he'd sneak up and just go, bam! Knock the dog off the chair. Dog would be like, can I let him do that? No, you can't let him do that. You know, other times the dog would be sleeping, same chair, the dog's favorite spot, same chair, dog would be sleeping, he walk up to it, like, that is not a safe thing to do to a dog. You're going to get bit, right? Like, it's really bad for him, really bad for the dog. This is something we have to deal with. And so, I'm like, here's the deal, bro. You keep doing that, bad things are going to happen to you. And they did. Let me tell you, worse and worse and worse and worse things happen to you when you do that. Because I've got to get your attention, and I've got to train that out of you. I have to correct you. So consequences kept amping up. Because you can't keep doing that. But... When he didn't do that, when he was nice to the dog, then of course it's blessing and flourishing and everyone's happy and there are no consequences. This is, okay, so you get it. Moral order. God created the world with moral order. And this is why the author is frustrated. He's saying, it doesn't seem to be working. Okay, so here we are, verse 10. Then I saw the wicked buried. So think of a mafia boss. Being, being buried. They used to go in and out of church, in and out of the holy place, and were praised in the city where they had done such things. At their funeral, it closes down all the streets in the whole town, and everyone's ranting and raving about how much they did for charity. He's like, how is that okay? This is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily. So imagine you're at the playground, little kids, elementary kids, you know, at the playground, and somebody starts swearing, you know, bleepity, 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 bleep. And, and all of a sudden, a fireball comes down from heaven and goes, boom! <laughs> somebody else is like, whoa, bleepity, 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 bleep. And another fireball comes down, boom! Do you think everyone else is going to watch their language a little bit after that? That's the idea here. It's like, like if God dropped fireballs out of heaven every time somebody did something wrong, everyone would pay a little bit closer attention. But that's not how God works. So the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. They think they can get away with it. This is, this is what he's saying, like, God, I, I know that there's a moral order because, you know, I mean, I know, I know what came before this, but it seems like you're not doing it. 
though a sinner does evil a hundred times, so I was telling the study group, you know, I, I made myself listen to um, a full hour of reporting on Hunter Biden's laptop. Full hour. I made myself. It was 90-minute podcast. I only could get through an hour. Um, and look, I'm not picking on one side or the other. There's plenty of corruption on both sides. Like, I'm, there's plenty of sin to go around. I'm not picking on any, like I say, I'm just using this as an example because it's one of the things that's like current for me. I just listened to it. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times, and all, you know, I was just thinking about this laptop and all the stuff around the laptop and all the cover-up and all the, all the stuff, and wins the election. And prolongs his life. Now this is the first statement of faith. Yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God. Because they fear before him. Look, I, I know in the end God will make things right. I, I know he will. Even though I'm frustrated with how he's not making things right right now. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow. Because he does not fear before God. So he's like, I know God will sort it out. I know he will bless the righteous. I know he will curse the wicked. Like, I know justice is coming. I know it's coming. I know it is. But there is also a vanity that takes place on earth. There are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. So there are righteous people who get what the wicked deserve. And then he's going to say, but there are wicked people who get what the righteous deserve. He's like, how does that make sense in the moral order? And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. So he's like, there's supposed to be moral order and there's just not. At least I don't see it. I said this is also vanity. So I commend joy. For a man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done under the sun. Am I going in and out? Just once? Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to adjust this. Maybe that will help. All right, verse 16. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done under the earth, on the earth, and how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. Like, look, I tried really hard to understand why good things happen to wicked people and bad things happen to good people. I tried really, really hard to really understand why I don't see the order of things and I just can't figure it out. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. Like, you just, you can't know some things. So here's what we've said so far. We've said, the reason... The author is frustrated is because he believes that God gave a moral order to the universe. That's why he's frustrated. That's number one. So number two, what he anchors his soul to is the idea that God will, in the end, make things right. That's verses 12 and 13. So let's come back and read those again. Verses 12 and 13. 
Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him, but it will not be well with the wicked, neither he who prolongs his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. So look, here's the thing. When you watch the news and you see all the terrible, horrible stuff going on in the Middle East, you come back to... But I know, I know that in the end, God will make it right. When you see the terrible, horrible stuff going on in Eastern Europe, you come back to, but I know, I know that God will make it right. When you look at what's going on in the southern border and below the southern border, that's making the southern border what it is, you come back to, I know, I know that in the end, God will make it right. I I don't know why it's taking so long. I don't know what God's plan is, but I know he will make it right. I know he will punish, and I know he will reward. That's true on a global scale. It's also true on an individual scale. True for you, and it's true for me. I heard this story about a pastor whose ministry was flourishing. And this, this man, this ministry is flourishing. Church is growing. People are getting baptized. People are getting saved. Um, revival, you know, like planting church. Like it's just incredible ministry. And then it comes to light that he's been living a double life for years. For years double life. And they go to him and they say, how could you do this? How can you preach those sermons through tears? How could you baptize those people? How could you perform those wedding ceremonies? How could you, how could you live this double life for years? You know what his answer was? His answer was, I'm a professional. You know what he's saying is I can turn it on and I can turn it off. Hey, you've been hurt by a professional? I mean, there are professionals at church, there are professionals other places too. What you anchor your soul to is, in the end, God will make it right. He will. This is what he says in verse 13. I'm sorry, verse 12. I'm looking for, but I know. Yeah, verse 12. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God. Some of you have been hurt by professionals. Man, maybe some of you, some of you are professionals. 
in that way. Like there's a switch that you can turn and you can look one way when you're around one set of people and then you can look a totally different way and act a totally different way when you're around a totally different set of people. And I just, I just plead with you, like, today is the day of repentance. Today is the day to confess that. Today is the day to make that right. Because take this to the bank that God will make things right eventually. Like, this is fair warning. That God will not let that go unpunished forever. Okay? So here's where we started. We started with... The reason the author is frustrated is he thinks people are getting away with stuff because there's supposed to be a moral order and he doesn't see the moral order happening. Like He's like, why are they getting away with stuff when there is a moral order? So then he anchors his soul to, but I know that in the end, God will make it right. But there's still a, a matter of, then, but why is God letting it go on for so long? When you watch the news, you see heinous stuff on the news. And you're like, why is God allowing that? Why? Or stuff that's happened to you in private that no one else knows about. Like, why has God allowed that? What is God doing? So, when I put that up on the screen, is that helpful? No, it's not helpful. Um, is there any meaning up there? Does that mean anything to you? So, so, I'm talking about your life right now. I'm talking about when you look back in your life and you're like, why did my parents go through that divorce? Why was there that disease? Why is there that death? You know, I'm talking about why. Why was there abuse? Abuse that led to addiction. Addiction that leads to all manner of affliction. And I hate all of it. I hate the abuse. I hate the addiction. I hate the affliction. I hate all of it. Why is that? Okay, so when you look up there, you can't see any meaning. You look up there and you're like, that just looks like a jumbled mess. But look, that doesn't mean that there's no meaning just because you can't see the meaning. I'm talking about your life. Just because you can't see the meaning doesn't mean there isn't any. So, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. There is meaning, even if you can't see it. And I'm talking about your life. Because, as the author wrote, though you toil all day long, who can find out what God is doing? But God is doing something even if you can't figure it out, even if you can't see what the meaning is. So we think Shakespeare is dead wrong when he writes with his character in Macbeth, life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage. 
then is heard no more. And so when we read that, we're like, well, that sounds a lot like Ecclesiastes. This next part is where we part ways. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. What Shakespeare is saying is, at least his character is saying, life has no meaning. It's a tale told by an idiot that doesn't really have a beginning, doesn't really have an end, there's no middle, there's no direction, there's, it's not going anywhere, it signifies nothing. It's loud and it's crazy and there's spit flying everywhere, but it just it doesn't mean anything. Look at me. Life is not a tale told by an idiot. Life is a tale told by Almighty God. But it may be told to idiots. <laughs> so look, God created everything with a moral order. He will make all things right in the end. But look, it's beyond us. What he's doing, why he's doing it, when we're in the middle of it. Man, I, I'm one of the idiots. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know. So what I'm going to do is what chapter 8, verse 15 says. I commend joy. Because look, God's in charge and you're not. Your attempt to understand Everything God is doing in the universe is going to be frustrating and lead you to insanity. So he says, I command joy, for man has nothing better under the sun than to eat and drink and be joyful, for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. So, so what do we do? Well, according to, the, according to the author here, what we do is we enjoy life. We enjoy God's gifts. We look up and we say, thank you. Thank you that I can go to work today. Toil is one of the gifts that God gives. Man, you spend so much time working. You spend so much time working. Wouldn't it make sense to enjoy it? To give God thanks for it? You spend so much time going grocery shopping for the same set of groceries you bought last week. To make the same meals you made the week before. To clean up the same dishes you cleaned up the week before. Doesn't it make sense to thank God for that and enjoy it? Rather than just sit in misery and complain about it again and again and again and again? Wouldn't that be better? Enjoy his gifts, whether it's work or it's all the days of your life or it's dinner. I commend joy, for a man has nothing better in the sun than to eat and drink and be joyful. So we're actually going to do this as homework. By November 15th, which is the opening day of hunting season, so it needs to be happened before then. Right, Austin? It needs to happen before then. Craig, yes, I see another amen there. Uh, we're not trying to take you, or after dark, you know, that'd be okay too, but... Uh, by November 15th, enjoy God's gift of a shared meal. Like, would you do this? Would you say, like, let's, let's actually, I mean, this is not the first time that they've invited us to enjoy God's gift of a shared meal. So here's what I'm asking you to do. Share a meal, and 
You're like, who should we share it with? I'm like, just, just share a meal. I got whoever you want to share it with, just people you love. And the, thing, the three things that I would ask, it would be unhurried. Unhurried because you're looking forward to when there is no more hurry. So there's no place you have to go. There's nothing else you have to do. You're not in a big yank. You're just going to sit and enjoy the meal and enjoy each other and give thanks. Unhurried. Unphoned. You're going to defy your need to know everything that is going on because you trust the one that is all-knowing. Would you do that? Unhurried, looking forward to when there is no more hurry. Unphoned, because you don't need to know everything because God knows everything. And finally, take turns giving thanks. We will defy our fearful discontent of missing out, of not having enough, of not having what they have. We're going to defy all of that with godly gratitude, which is the key to joy. Would you do that? So here's the big, the big movements this morning. We're going to fear the Lord because the Lord will make all things right in the end. And when you fear the Lord, you turn to the Lord and you obey him and you repent and you confess your sins. And then you enjoy his gifts. Three big movements. Now, you might be here though and you might be going, I just can't get past the picture of of the dude who lives a double life. Because I can just see how I live a double life. And I, I know it's wrong. And I, and I, know, I know God is going to make things right in the end. And I know that's not going to be good for me. Here's the good news. The good news is that though the wages of sin is death. I mean, you're right to be afraid. God is holy. And he will judge sin. You're right to be afraid. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And turn to him, confess your sin. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, and Lord, I thank you for meeting us in it again. And Lord, I pray that you would pull us towards yourself, and Lord, help us to love you and keep your commandments. In Jesus' name, amen.